so the message is not about the Lord's Supper, but we will be celebrating that um, in a little bit. But my guess is that that's just where you happen to be as you are working your way through the catechism. This morning, I'd like to present a, a topical message. It's about daily repenting. And before I read the associated scripture passage, let's again look to our Lord in prayer. O oh, gracious Father, thank you that you feed us. You feed us through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We thank you that his body was broken for us, his blood was spilled for us, and that when he ascended, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. We thank you that he is now our living word in every way. He gives us all the life that we need. We know that he is the capital W word, the word made flesh, the embodiment of all wisdom, and we know that the words of Scripture are his words just as they are yours and as they have come from the Holy Spirit. So, Word of God, would you speak to us now? Thank you for, we thank you in advance for nourishing us we thank you for being with us, for working on our hearts, for softening them, for humbling us before your word. Because we know that if you weren't present and acting, we would just leave here unchanged. And so we confess how much we need you now to work in our hearts. Grant to us attentiveness and focus. Grant me clarity as I speak. And would you, O Christ, be magnified in and through our lives as a result, we ask and pray all this in your most precious name. Amen. So our key passage for this morning is Proverbs 28, verse 13. And just for a little bit of the context, um, I'm going to read 11 through 14. But remember, the key verse is 13. This is a section of Proverbs that talks about a lot of different things. But you'll notice a, a sub-theme here of, of the humility or the humble versus the great. So Proverbs 28, 11 through 14. Let's hear now God's holy word. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. And verse 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And finally, verse 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Whoever hardens his heart will <clears throat> fall into calamity. I want to just mention here at the beginning that um, I have a friend who uh, mentored me for a bit and uh, offered me some counseling. His name is Stu Badstone. Um, he was a part of World Harvest Mission, and then he became a part of Surge when that missions agency changed its name. Um, so a lot of these materials are from him. Um, they are just very, very well done on the topic of repentance. So I borrowed heavily from him and wanted to give him credit. So Stu Batstone, thank you, brother, uh, for your insights if you ever come across this message. But I have really good news for you, really good news. 
God wants us to be happy. So you probably already knew that, uh, but there's more. God wants you to be happy even more than you do. And you might not be able to imagine that because we all just love happiness and that's what we often strive after. But he wants us to be happy more than we do. How do I know that? Well, it's because he loves us so, so much, even more than we do. He created us. He made us. He owns us. And he treasures us. And he made us to be happy and whole. Another piece of good news for you, and this one might come across as kind of strange when you hear it. God knows exactly how we can be happy. He knows how we can achieve happiness. And the answer, believe it or not, is to be sad first. So we need to be sad first. That's by God's design before we will be truly and genuinely happy and whole. This is the same sad first and then joyful pattern that was also experienced by our Lord Jesus Christ. He had to first experience great and much humility before he was exalted into eternal happiness and glory. And we, brothers and sisters, have to follow that same pattern, even in our day-to-day lives. And so here is the scripture again, Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. That's what we sometimes do to try to stay happy. Just forget about that sin. Move forward. Just conceal it. Bury it. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them, whoever is sad first, will find mercy. And with that, of course, we'll be happy. When we have God's mercy showered and and poured upon us, we are happy. You could paraphrase Proverbs 28, 13 as follows. Whoever refuses to repent, whoever conceals his transgression, whoever refuses to repent, which is what it is to conceal sin, will not prosper and thus will not be happy. But whoever repents of his sins, who confesses and forsakes and renounces them, finds mercy and is happy. So we're talking about ongoing repentance this morning. That is what God calls us to throughout our Christian lives. It's a continual, lifelong activity that we never graduate from until we graduate from this earth. It's part and parcel with our spiritual growth. Daily repenting. And J.I. Packer wrote, while God's acceptance of each Christian believer, God's acceptance of us is perfect from the start, our repentance always needs to be extended further as long as we are in this world. Another quote for you, this one from the great German monk and seminary professor Martin Luther. In the first of his 95 theses, this is what he wrote. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. So friends, what then is repentance? I'm sure you've heard it before, maybe you've read the definition in the catechism, but there's a very simple definition for us from Scripture. This is one you can remember. Ezekiel 18.20. For definition, it says simply, repent and turn from all your transgressions. So that's really a restating of what it is to repent. It's to turn from all your transgressions, all your sins. 
Another definition is found in our, in our verse, Proverbs 28, 13. It's to confess and forsake your transgressions. To confess and forsake your sins. And then there's a slight expansion of that you can find over in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 teaches that repentance happens when God's people humble themselves, when they humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Humble, humility, prayer, seeking God's face and turning away from unrighteousness. So repentance is basically a turning around. It's a U-turn away from doing that sinful thing, thinking that sinful thought, and then turning to God, to clinging to Christ and, and seeking to walk in his ways by his spirit. It's a 180 degree turn from sin and to God and to his ways. And here's the key. It's not just a turning in our actions, but it's also a turning in our attitudes. Repentance involves heart change. It involves, as we saw from 2 Chronicles verse, chapter 7, verse 14, it involves humility. Repentance involves humility. It's very much involved with our hearts. It's a readjusting of our hearts and their motives. So basically, repentance is a changed attitude towards sin. It's a changed attitude from it's not a big deal or it doesn't really matter or I have a right to do this to something very different. This sin breaks my heart. I hate doing it. And so therefore, I want to change even the very attitudes that led me to it. Friends, repentance is deep, and it's so easy to just gloss over this fact. But I want to emphasize, it's deep. It's never simply apologizing. That may be part of it, but it's, that's not the large part of it. It's never simply apologizing, nor is it ever merely vowing to do better. It's never making promises to God and to others. Those just would reflect our actions. It's never crying or moping for a while to try to prove how sad we are about what we did. Those are all short-term, surface-level things. No, friends, repentance is a transforming of heart attitudes, a changing of the very environment or the conditions of our hearts that lead us to sins. So the flip side is repentance is always a softening of the heart toward God and toward others. It's always a humbling of ourselves. It always involves admitting the problem and that the problem is me. Did you get that? It involves admitting the problem and that the problem is me. It's always in agreeing with God, not just about our actions, but also about our hearts, about what's wrong that's happening in there. Repentance is always a humble return to God and to his ways, a drawing closer to him. And friends, it always leads us closer to him and to being more delighted and satisfied in him. Repent, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines repentance like this. Repentance is the action in which a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of or realizing the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. 
Brothers and sisters, repentance protects our souls. Listen to Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, and here's the most important part, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care, watch out for an unbelieving heart and exhort one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I mentioned at the beginning that repenting involves sadness. And that's because repenting hurts, doesn't it? It can hurt a lot. It's humiliating. It hurts not so much physically, but in the heart, right? It hurts emotionally. And this is why it's so difficult. This is why we're so slow to do it. But why does it hurt so much? Why does it make us so sad? Well, because it involves admitting that I am wrong. Again, that I am wrong. Not just that my action was wrong, but more deeply that I am wrong. It involves dealing with the fact that there's this great idolatry in our hearts, an idolatry of self, this worship of self, this putting me first. Recognizing these things, striving against them, brothers and sisters, protects our souls. Repentance, as one author put it, weakens our need or our desire to do anything contrary to God's heart. So it really brings our hearts in line with Him and it weakens our need to do anything contrary to His heart and it removes the barriers to joyful intimacy with Him. So repentance is a powerful and rich and wonderfully grace-giving practice that protects our souls. So with all that said, friends, how do we grow in the practice of repenting? How can we become better at daily repenting? Because remember, whoever confesses and forsakes his transgressions will find, this is a promise from God, will find mercy and grace. So how do we become better repenters? I've got three practices for us this morning. Three practices. We have to start by, number one, understanding our sin. We become better at repenting by, first of all, understanding our sin. And then, first within this, first about understanding our sin, we need to understand how deceitful it is. Okay, Hebrews, that passage I just read, talks about being careful that we not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3.13 I had good reason to yell at my brother or sister or to raise my voice at my mom or my dad. How often do we think like this? Do we talk like this to ourselves? We can feel just sometimes in doing wrong because they did us wrong first or because we think, I'm only practicing righteous indignation. This is only the proper response. But if we honestly ask ourselves, does God really agree with me on this, on that justification? What is the answer? We trick ourselves so often and so very easily about our sins because they're so deceitful. 
We trick ourselves because we don't want to feel like we did anything wrong. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. And sometimes, too, we just want to be able to keep on doing it. We want to just bury it and forget about it and move on, and then maybe leave the door open to returning to it later. Here's another excuse we use. Everybody else is doing it. What's wrong with me doing this? Or how about this one? It isn't hurting anyone. This is only has to do with me and what I'm doing. But then the question always is, who made you God to decide what is sin and what is not? Understand, brothers and sisters, how deceitful sin is and realize how quick you are to justify yourself and to say that this is not really anything that you need to repent of. You don't need to worry about it. Just move on. And then secondly, about understanding sin is we need to understand the fact that for every obvious sin that we commit, for every surface sin, there is something much deeper. There is always some other more sinister and deeply rooted sin, which is always actually the more important sin that needs to be dealt with. And yet, ironically, it is often the one that we don't deal with, the one that we don't think about or sometimes even notice or realize. But what about the deeper rooted sin. Well, the key is to ask ourselves, what was going on in my heart when I sinned that surface level sin that caused me to commit that sin in the first place? What was happening in my feelings and in my thoughts deeper down in my heart? Here's an example. You were irritated with your sister or your brother or your spouse and you raised your voice and you said something mean and sarcastic well, yes, that was a sin, but why did you commit that sin? Maybe you thought that you weren't treated well. You were wronged. How dare you disrespect me because I deserve respect, honor, attention, whatever the case may be, whatever it was that you felt robbed of. Those would be examples of some of the deeper lying issues. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, said our Lord Jesus Christ. So figure out the root sin, the underlying patterns, the thoughts and the attitudes that caused the sin to begin with. And that is key. That is so key. So first of all, understand your sin. Now practice number two, a second way to grow in the grace of repenting is to be humbled. Be humbled by God and by your sin after you commit a sin and in your process of repenting. And this involves letting your sin break your heart. This involves truly grieving over it. And it involves determining to die to your own self, to kill that old nature, to kill that old man. If you're going to repent, you must let your sin truly grieve you. And that begins with Realizing the gravity of your sin, of all of your sin, of how much it grieves God. When we sin repeatedly, it even grieves the Spirit and squelches His power and His activity in our lives. So, friends, we have to care enough about our sin to be moved to act on it. Imagine that one day that you were inattentive while driving and you hit someone walking along the side of the road and you nearly killed them. You didn't quite 
caused death, but you so maimed this person's limbs and face that the doctors could only partially reconstruct their body and their face. And imagine that you don't have to imagine. This would be something that you would grieve over. This would move you. This would shake you to the core. You would experience great, great sorrow over it. The rest of your life, you would probably be uncomfortable. Every time you thought about being distracted by it while you were driving. But imagine just a little bit further with this illustration that now this person is living with this sort of grotesque looking maimed face making it uncomfortable for all those around them, even sometimes to look at them. Imagine further that you developed a relationship with this person and, and they had asked you to always remember them in prayer. Well, the proud response would be to eventually forget about them. Whereas the humble and the godly and the repentant response, the repentant reaction, would be to live with the pain, even along with them. Perhaps even to put their photo on your mirror and let the sight of it remind you to pray for them and even let the sight of it pain you and grieve you and cause you to act, cause you to fulfill your, your promise, your word that you gave, that yes, indeed, you would pray for them. That is the type of remembering, the type of grieving, the type of pain over our sin that is part of repentance that actually creates change in us. Why? Because it makes us act. People who study people, psychologists or psychiatrists, they have, they have said that it's very clear, those who study how our emotions work, it's clear that we do not change unless the pain of staying in our current situation outweighs the pain of changing. So unless the one pain is greater than the other, we don't change. That's why I suggest to you, leverage pain to drive you into daily repenting from root sins. Let it use it as a leverage to help you with daily repenting. And also difficult with repenting, it makes it hurt so much, is being willing to die to our old self. Being willing to say that that old person is bad. The person even that I am now, parts of it are bad. I am wrong, not just my actions. My heart isn't right. That can feel humiliating, but we have to admit it. Admitting what's behind our sins. So lots of challenges. Even when we are setting, are setting about to repent, there is a huge, massive spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. When we even think about repenting, Ephesians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5. So there's all these challenges, but I want to encourage you here uh, two-thirds of the way through. Take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome sin. And we are united to him so that in him we too overcome it. So listen to James 4.10. It says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will in due time lift you up. He will cause you to overcome and grant to you that happiness of close fellowship and walking with him that makes us whole. John 12, 24, the Lord's of our Savior. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, 
that hurts, and dies, it remains alone. It remains as it is and by itself. But if it dies, if we're humbled, if we become deeply dissatisfied so that we must change, if that grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. It bears much fruit. John 12, 24. So number two, be humbled by God and by your sin. And a take-home assignment related to this and learning how to do this would be to read and meditate over Psalm 51, which is King David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, even murdered. Now, after the prophet Nathan confronted him and he realizes his sin, this is him repenting. He's pouring out his broken heart to the Lord God. We see him repenting, and also we read in that Psalm 51 the beginnings of God's restoration of his heart and of his life. It's a very interesting and beautiful psalm that I would commend to you. But now number three, a third way of growing in the practice of repenting is to involve others. Another very hard thing, but remember there's joy and happiness that comes after on the other end. Involving others, I think for many of us, must happen for true change to happen. So a third way of growing and repenting is to involve others Bring all of this that we've been talking about into our interactions with others. Because isn't that where about 80 to 90% of our sins happen is while we're interacting with others? So we can ask ourselves, and this is so important, ask yourself, do I allow other people's comments and even their criticisms to operate as a tool in God's hands to humble me, to refine me, to chip away at the sins, to make me more holy? Do I allow others' comments and even criticisms to operate as his tool? Do I invite them? Do I seek them? How do you receive reactions and feedback and criticisms from others? If you have been humbled by your sin and you're walking in humility, it becomes that much easier. There's uh, something that tends to happen when we've sinned especially in pretty much always when we sin in a conflict with someone. Our sinful nature jumps into 3D mode. So watch this. Here's what it does. Our sinful nature dismisses, denies, and defends what we just did. Okay, dis first of all, it dismisses it. If someone challenges us or complains or is offended about what we did, we dismiss. We say, the problem couldn't have been me. It must have been you. I didn't do anything wrong. That's an almost knee-jerk reaction because we like to think we're better than that. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have sinned. I didn't do anything wrong. Our defensiveness first dismisses the sin. Then it denies the consequences of the sin. It denies what our action actually did to someone else. We try to convince them sometimes that they weren't really hurt by us, as ridiculous as that may be. So our sinful nature, secondly, denies the hurt and the destruction that just ensued because of our sin. And then the third D, we defend our action by marshalling arguments to try to excuse what we just did. We justify. We defend. We give the reasons why they shouldn't be upset and why it was really okay. So in our pride, 3D, we dismiss we deny, 
and we defend our sins. But in Holy Spirit power, brothers and sisters, that 3D has to change to 3I. The first is to invite. To say a quick prayer, first of all. Invite or ask the Holy Spirit to help you. To humble you, even in the moment, so that you would respond and interact well with the person you've just offended. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you. Number two is insight. Look for insight. Be open to insight. What light can this conflict shed on the conditions and the machinations of your heart, on the deeper things going on that produce that surface sin? Insight. Ask the others involved. Ask that other person, if you know them well, to help you with this. Because so often we can be blind to our own sins and say, wow, do you see, is this a pattern that you're seeing? You can ask questions to, to bring and to invite insight. So invite Holy Spirit, ask for, look for insight, and then finally ask about the impact. And this really can be the hardest because it can hurt. Instead of quickly asking for forgiveness, which can sometimes short-circuit the whole repentance process, or better, at least before asking for forgiveness, ask the person that you hurt or offended to elaborate. Ask about the impact. Learn how your sin hurt this other person. Gently ask them, how did what I just did make you feel? Help me understand how it hurt you. And in no way am I asking you to defend being hurt, but just help me to understand your, your feelings and your thought process so that you start to hear the full impact that your sin had on them. Again, this will help your sin to hurt you. And it will motivate you then to change the root causes behind it. It's like staring deeply into that now deformed face of the person that you damaged through your sin. So instead of dismiss, deny, and defend, invite, look for insight, ask about the impact. There's a number of other ways to grow in the repentance process. Uh, I'm just going to mention two more, is number one, to develop purposeful accountability. This also, these other two involve others. Develop purposeful accountability relationships with others where you ask them to ask you how you're doing in, your, in, in working through the hard issues behind your sins. Where you also ask them to point out to you sins and sinful patterns that you might be very blind to. Things that you're not seeing or at least not realizing the extent of which they're operating in your life. And then one other way to involve others, and this is particularly when you get stuck with a particular sin or heart issue, Christian counseling. Seek the advice of an expert. Christian counseling can be very useful. And there's no shame in turning to an expert on change if you want to change. Just makes a ton of sense, right? So then just to review my three big points this morning. Understand your sin. Understand your sin for daily repentance. Number two, be humbled by your sin for daily repentance. And then number three, involve others in the daily repentance battle against your sin. Avoiding, dismissing, denying, defending 
moving instead into inviting the Holy Spirit or asking the Holy Spirit, seeking insight from others and learning, asking about the impact of your sin on others. So I want to begin to wrap things up now with a comparison list which lays out good versus bad ways of repenting. This will sort of review what we've talked about, after which I'll close with a definition and a quote. So here are some, some things that we say to ourselves when we are practicing worldly repentance versus when we're practicing godly repentance. Compare these things as you hear them. <clears throat> worldly repentance. I'm only sorry for what I do. Godly repentance. I'm sorry for who I am. Worldly. I have an explanation. Godly. I am sick of my explanations. Worldly. I confess after I sin. Godly. I am continually repentant because of my sins. Worldly. I can't believe I'm like that. Let's not talk about this anymore. Godly. I can believe I'm like that. I think we need to talk about it more. Worldly repentance. I want a quick resolution, so would you please get off my back? Godly repentance. I want a deeper insight, so I need you to hang in there with me. Help me work through this. Worldly. I'm sorry I got found out. Godly. Thank you that you brought this to my attention. Worldly. I repent by trying to do it right the next time. I'm going to try to do it right. I'm going to fix it. Godly repentance. I repent that I don't have my own righteousness. And I trust Christ to be my righteousness instead. I understand and apply the gospel. And worldly, last one. Sorry I offended you. Godly, sorry my sinful heart is so offensive. Tim Keller writes, in religion, or basically in Phariseeism, the purpose of repentance is to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. It's to keep him happy. This means that Pharisaic or religious repentance is selfish, self-righteous, and it's bitter all the way to the bottom. In the gospel, he writes, in the gospel, however, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. Right? It's, it's to reconnect with God and to tap into the joy of the Holy Spirit working in us with his power to change us. It is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ. So remember, friends, repentance is drawing near to our Redeemer. And it is for our joy. It is the joy after the sadness. And let's especially remember this. The reason that our confessing of our sins and repenting of them and growing in repentance, the reason that this accomplishes anything, that any of those, confession or repentance, do anything is because of all that our Savior has already accomplished. That's the only reason they do any good for us. It's because he went so low, all the way through rejection, mocking, ridicule, even being cut off from God the Father and tasting the grave and all the torture 
that our sins deserved, he went so low so that we could be forgiven and then exalted. Friends, he purchased our redemption and then he gave us his spirit so that we could become more like him and be in intimate fellowship with him. What a gracious savior we serve. And then what is our natural response of love? It's to be repenting daily, to be becoming more like him as we draw near to him in daily repentance. John Calvin wrote, the Christian life is a race of repentance. It's a race to the finish line of repentance. Friend, will you run this race? Will you run it by God's power and grace every day until you are glorified and see the Lord face to face? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. O oh, gracious Lord and King, we thank you. We thank you that you don't withhold from us the hard things that we need to think about and do in our lives so that through the sadness, after the low, we receive joy. We have the high of fellowship with you, walking with you in, in intimate communion and joy. Thank you that we'll be done with all this difficult repenting one day. The moment that you return, or if before then, you receive us to yourself. Lord, give us the persistence and, and the perseverance to continue walking in faith, walking in the Spirit, turning away from that which grieves you and saddens you and lessens our, our witness and even sometimes hurts our witness for Christ. Lord, we long to, we long to be testimonies for him and people who truly bless one another who bring grace and healing and joy into the lives of those around us so for all these reasons we again ask that you would grant to us your spirit to help us to be diligent in growing in daily repenting and all this for your glory for the fame of your name we ask and pray it in christ's most precious name amen